of God's decree. Um, I've divided up the text of paragraph 1 into five, five different points, just for easy, um, we call it congestion, so that we'll see how, how the flow works. There are just five points there in the main thing. And I read the old text. So let's read together. God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein, nor is violence offered to the will of the creature, nor yet is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established, in which appears his wisdom in disposing all things, and power and faithfulness in accomplishing his decree. Then I, I, I attached it, it, the modern text to it. I got that modern text from Founders Ministry, the ministry of Tom Asko, the uh, Baptist, Southern Baptist one who wanted to run for presidency, but lost. So the modern English is from Founders Ministry. And I read, From all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs without a reference to anything outside himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably. Yet God did this in such a way that is neither the author of sin nor has any fellowship with any in their sin. This decree does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working or contingency of second causes. On the contrary, these are established by God's decree. In this decree, God's wisdom is displayed in directing all things and his power and faithfulness are demonstrated in accomplishing his decree. That is paragraph one. Last week we were able to go through the first three points or the first three uh, sentences in that paragraph. And today we'll be looking, we look partially at the fourth, but we'll, we'll, we'll go deeply into it. But before we begin looking at the text, I just want to say something by way of introduction. That we cannot reconcile two truths in scripture does not mean they are contradictory. The problem sometimes, especially when we come to the subject of God's decree, as church history will prove, and even modern contemporary theology will prove, is that when well, we have two things that seem to be at opposites, but which scripture affirms, people switch, people tend to flow to one side at the expense of the other. And so this is not a thing just with Armenians. We think of Armenians at some point as, okay, they stretch human free will to, to a fault. But even Calvinists, like we learned last week, hyper-Calvinists, there are such, there are people who are called hyper-Calvinists who argue that this human responsibility is not, is not so much a thing and that God's sovereignty should always be emphasized. But the truth is, the Bible talks about those things. The Bible talks about them. And I'm saying this because there are things in our, in our lifetime of study that we may never be able to reconcile. 
we may never be able to come to a, a conclusion. How do I put it now? The way you are told about the law of gravity is not the same way you should approach theology. For example, in, in the law of gravity has been fixed. So people have you have the figure, I mean centuries of science and research, and so it's not disputable. So you can know everything there is to know about gravity in a sense. That can be known scientifically about gravity. When it comes to God, it doesn't work the same way. Why? Firstly, because God is incomprehensible. We have to come to this again and again and again. Why God is knowable? Knowable means that He has made Himself available to be known by His creatures. God cannot be comprehended fully by our minds. The kind of being God is, we cannot come to the point where we say we have studied God and understood God the way we the way you learn the English alphabet. Everybody here knows the English alphabet. There is nothing in the English alphabet that can be new to you. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, C. No, that's not the way you understand God or you understand God. God is incomprehensible. And then what God has shown to us is but a fraction of who He is. So if we think that even if we read the whole Bible and understand it word for word, we will understand God, that's still not true. Because the aspects of God that he has, not, he has chosen not to reveal to us, Deuteronomy 29, 29, there are such things as the secret things of God. There are things that God has not revealed. There are things we will only understand when we get to glory. Secondly, because of our sinfulness, even as believers, we are unable to understand the things of God as we ought. For firstly, you, let me explain this from the point of unbelievers and from the point of believers. Unbelievers, we know, they, are, they have a carnal mind. They are natural, they are natural-minded people, and so the things of God cannot be understood by them. First Corinthians chapter two, because they are spiritually dead people. Now we that have come to Christ, yes, we are. But yet, because of the remaining effects, it's called the noetic effects of sin, which is the effect that sin has on our intellect. We cannot fully or properly understand the things of God as we ought. That's why we struggle. Number one, God is incomprehensible, just to give two reasons. Because, I mean, we have a lot of questions. Some of us could not sleep after the last uh, Bible study. We're thinking throughout the week. Then we've come here today again. The reason why we find it difficult is because of the noetic effects of sin. What sin has done to our internet, our understanding. So that the things of God that should poof, appear so clear to us, even as his children, we still take time to understand it. It still comes with certain kinds of difficulty. This is why we have the word of God. And this is why Paul, writing in the book of Romans chapter 12, asked them to constantly renew their minds. Which is why we come constantly before the word of God, so that our minds may be renewed every day, every week. Which is why we are doing this. But let us not think that at the end of this study, we will understand everything there is to understand. That's until some of us will still go and struggle with for another week or month or two or even a year. When I when I try to talk about my own personal testimony of how I came to accept the doctrines of grace. When I first read about the doctrines of grace, that's the five, what we call the five points of Calvinism, it took me another maybe five years before I could understand it. So it was rejection upon rejection. I'll tell you my favorite preacher is Paul Washer because I came to faith, learning through his ministry, and I didn't believe in his theology. 
I knew what he was teaching, but I didn't believe in it. But it took a lot of time before the Lord could open my mind to understand these things. And this is a call for us to also be patient with one another. Because sometimes we think that the reason why somebody else does not understand is because the person is not, is not how do you call it, is not serious, and the person is lazy. So, and this is the kind of mindset where we think, okay, well, if you read such and such and such and such and such, you will get this. So, because you are not reading those books, you are lazy, that's why you don't understand it. These things take time to understand, even for those of us who are Christians. Amen. Amen. So, by revision, we looked at some things last week, by way of revision. I just want to point out five things we looked at. Number one, we looked at what we mean by decree. And we learned that God's decree is his eternal plan by which he foreordained foreordained everything that comes to pass to his own glory. So we're talking about the decree of God. We are talking about his eternal plan by which he foreordained every single thing that comes to pass to his own glory. That's the first thing we learned. Secondly, we learned also, this is point one, two, three of what we just read, that God's decree did not happen in time. And I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 46 to explore that point. Isaiah chapter 46. God's decree did not happen. Please open your Bible. This is a Bible study. Despite the fact that it's looking to a confession. Confession is also based on the Bible, not from the thoughts of men. So Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10, it says, God declares the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from the far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass, I have purposed, and I will do it. So, the nature of God's decree is such that, like the confession tells us, it happened in eternity. God's decree happened in eternity. Now, do you know the difference between God and us? God does not exist in time. So, when we talk about time, we're talking about succession. That is, when one o'clock moves, Two o'clock succeeds one o'clock. Three o'clock succeeds two o'clock. You're talking about succession of time. The nature of this decree, eh, it happened before time began. That's why God decreed all things. This decree we're talking about. Time began in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. When you talk about in the beginning, in terms of our own comprehension, that's where time began. We are told that God's decree is eternal. The nature of God's decree is such that it happened before anything came into being. Before man came into being, before the earth was created, in fact, before even angels were formed. So this is something that happened in God. And we can't really understand this because we, we are not eternal beings. Okay, sometimes we say eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. But then we, we try to put time inside eternity at the same time. You see, eternity past, past is time. So this, this happened in eternity. From all eternity, God decreed. The implication of this, of course, is that God is not decreeing anything now. So God, in terms of God's operations or the works of God, this, the decree of God falls into 
category of theology proper called the works of God, God is not decreeing now. Decree, in terms of God's decree, has happened. So God is not actively, like today now, decreeing something that will come to pass. It has happened already. The decree of God is not being modified now. It's not being adjusted. God is not revising his decree. The way you have a syllabus, and after three years, why I say we have to revise the syllabus? That's not what's happening in God's decree. It has happened, happened too. God has decreed in eternity before time began. Number three thing is that the decree of God is comprehensive. Comprehens- comprehensibility, or comprehensibility, yeah, means complete. When we say God is incomprehensible, comprehensive means you don't finish, com- complete everything. So God's decree is comprehensive. And we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Ephesians 1, 11. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him. And this is where the emphasis is. The purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. How many things does God work? All things. According to what? The counsel of his will. Pointing back to his decree and his eternal plan. So there's nothing that God works. First of all, God works all things. There's nothing that is not worked by God. God works all things. Secondly, there's nothing that God works that is not in accordance with his decree. So God works all things. Everything. The good, the bad, the ugly, the seemingly unimaginable, the horrendous things that happen. One of the issues some of us will have as we begin to think about the implications of God's decree, are you trying to tell me then that God decreed the Holocaust? Where three million Jews were killed, many in gas chambers? Are you saying that God decreed two world wars? The nuclear bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Are you saying God decreed the civil war in Nigeria, the Biafra war? Are you saying God decreed the killing in our world? The killing, the, the massacre war? Are you saying God is even decreeing that we have our current political candidates for presidency? Are you saying God decrees all? Yes, actually, the Bible says God decrees all things according counsel. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. We're not done. Don't worry. The chapter is very long. So we'll come back to this. But the, the third thing we learned is God decrees comprehensive. The fourth thing we learned is that God's decree was without reference to anything or anyone. Now, what this means is when you want to do something, typically, you have friends. You may have a wife or a husband. And then you run those things by the person. Do you understand? You have a friend. Maybe you want to buy a new car. And it's your first car. You never buy a car before. And then you have your friend who has bought maybe two, three cars before. And then you go to meet him and say, Oh boy, which car is the best car for me to buy? So you meet him to be able to make your own decision. Or even when you want to get married, you go and talk to people in church and say, Is this sister the kind of person that I can get married to? The confession teaches us, and scripture as well affirms this, 
that God's decree was without reference to anything or anyone. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13 to 14. It says, Isaiah 40, 13 to 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Who did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? And taught him knowledge? And showed him the way of understanding? See, this is logical. Remember, in eternity, God has always been. So before God even created angels, before God even created man, or formed the earth, or created anything we can see, God was. Are we, do, we, do we agree with that? Now, if at the time God was, he was decreed, was there anybody he could have consulted to decree? Are we together? Was there anyone he could have asked, advised, or ran it by? Like, okay, what do you think? Like, is this, does this make sense? Are we trying to, should we, should we make the earth 4,000 years or 5,000 years? There was no such person there. Not angels, not men, nobody, nothing. God did not decree with reference to anyone or anything. Now, more than that, if God had consulted something, then the decree of God will not determine all things. I hope this will make sense to us. If God had consulted something or someone, then that something or someone would have been the determiner of what will happen. Does that make sense? It should not have been God's decree again. It can no longer be God's decree. Because that person, in fact, that person who God consulted did not come into being by God's decree. So God's decree becomes something entirely different. Even if God were to look into the future, which is what we'll look at in paragraph 2 later, it's, it's no longer a decree. If God were to look into the future and begin to see what these people will do, these people will do, no, 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 no. It originates in God himself. God himself. And number five, which will lead us into what we are considering tonight, God's decree does not make him a partaker of sin. God ordains all things. Yes. Good things. Yes. Bad things. Yes. Even sin. Yes. But the Bible still tells us, remember, I said some things that seem contradictory, we have to accept at the same time. Look at James chapter 1, verse 13, because the scripture teaches it. James chapter 1, verse 13. James was writing, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted that I have been tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God cannot be tempted with evil, and God tempts no one. In other words, God does not make anybody sin. Yes, God ordains all things, including the sins of Hitler. Yeah, Saddam Hussein, Idi Amin. God ordains all things, but God did not go to somebody and start walking sin in the person. That's what the Bible is saying. You know, the, the, the natural response, this is the logical way to think of it. If God ordains all things, that means when somebody sins, that means God goes to the person and now forces him to sin. Maybe put something in the heart of the person to sin. The Bible says, no, God does not tempt anybody. First John chapter 1, verse 5. 
It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The reason why God cannot evil, God cannot tempt anybody, is because there's no such, there's no such thing as sin or guile in God. It is the person that has sin or guile that cannot push somebody else to, to do something like, like sin. God in and of himself is light. He's holy. His, his nature is totally opposed to sin and evil. So God does not make, the decree does not make him a partaker of sin. Now, this leads us to, like I said, what we were looking at in Point four. Can we read that point four again? Specifically from the modern translation. He said, The decree of God does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working of second causes. Now, when we say second causes, we have to assume that there's such a thing as the first cause. The first cause is God, the primary cause, the person, not the person now, the one from whom all things. Flow, sort of. Because a cause is a person or thing that gives rise to an action or a condition. So if somebody is a cause of something, that person gives rise to the action or gives rise to the change in states or condition. Are we together? The code is not affecting us. So, God is the first cause. Everything exists because of God. And even because we understand God's decree, God is the first cause. The second causes are those humans, angels, Satan, even, who now carry out, like they carry out the decrees of God practically on the ground. Do you understand what I'm saying? God is the one who is the first cause. Second causes are those who are actors, who now give rise to situations in the world and make things to happen. God is the first, and those people are secondary causes. Now, why do you think? The Bible wants, or the confession rather, wants us to hold this intention that God is not a partaker of sin, yet God ordains sin, and it is because the will of the second causes is not violated. The reason is the Bible teaches human responsibility, or human freedom, or human free will, if you like. The problem with free will is when we talk about free will, a lot of times, all of us are saying different things. We are talking about free will. So whenever a conversation erupts or ensues on free will, one person is talking about free will in terms of something else, in terms of something else, in terms of something else. The Bible teaches that man is free. If by freedom we mean that man's actions are without external coercion. External coercion means that there is nothing that comes from the outside to make a man or woman or a boy or a girl do something. Do you understand? The reason you drank that this afternoon is because you wanted to drink that. The reason you wore the clothes you're wearing today is because you wanted to wear it. The reason you even bought it in the first place is that you wanted to buy it. Now, even if somebody suggested it to you, that let's go to the market, there's this shirt or trouser or shoe or cap, let's buy it. If you don't go, if you don't buy it, it will be yours. You were the one that did it. So when we say man is responsible, we mean that man is free as regarding his actions. So nobody is forcing man. That's what James was trying to say. You know, James was saying, a man sees when he's lured. There's something inside him that is moving him to sin. It is not God that came into the heart of a man and starts saying, 
go and sleep with somebody, or go and steal, go and lie. No, there is something already from inside of man that is pushing him to sin. God is not that that thing. God is not the moving factor. Man is free in terms of being free from external coercion. Every act anybody does in this world is an act he wanted to do. It's an act he did. The reason why God will hold people responsible is people say, we are, we are not robots. You are free. So nobody can make an excuse, which is silly, by the way. I've heard this before. That the reason why okay, somebody is struggling with a sin and the person is still trying to battle that sin. And after trying, 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 the person now says, okay, the reason why I'm in this sin, the reason why I'm still struggling with this sin is because God is making me to still struggle with it. No. That's not true. You can't leave God with any sinful action. Any sinful activity. That's what James said in James 1. God is not tempted, neither does he tempt anybody to evil. We, we sin when we are moved by our own lost desires. Now, there, there are some passages of scripture that will throw more light on this. Let's start from Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This is Joseph speaking. He said, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So what did the brothers do to Joseph? Did they do good to him? They did evil. Did Joseph say, Maybe God made you do evil. No. Joseph recognized what the Bible is teaching us is when a man sins, he's responsible for the sin. Yes, of course, in the story of Joseph, we see that the sins of his brothers were still within the confines of God's will for Joseph. Are we together? But nobody can say, oh, you were acting on behalf of God by selling your younger brother to slavery. Wanting to even kill him. No, you are wicked people, you did evil. Yet, you are still operating within God's decree. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This was Peter preaching. Let's start from 22. He says, Many of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So, the death of Jesus originated from whose plan? Was it the Jews? It was according to God's plan, in fact, definite plan and foreknowledge of God, this Jesus you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, it, it would be foolish, not foolish, let me know this word foolish, it would be wrong for Peter to say, this Jesus whom God, there's a sense in which it was God that killed him, I understand that. But in terms of human responsibility, the people that carried out the act of sin Despite the fact that God had ordained that it was going to happen, they were responsible 
Because nobody forced them to kill Jesus. Nobody came and said, the, the, God did not come into their hearts to say, go and kill Jesus. No. They were wicked men, they were evil men, and they took an innocent man and killed him. And Peter is saying, because you killed him, you are guilty. You crucified him, you killed him. Lordless men. I will say what the Bible is doing. So the Bible is not saying that these two things are in opposition to each other. That because man sins, it cannot be part of God's decree. Or because God decrees, man cannot be responsible. God decrees and man is responsible at the same time. That's what the Bible teaches. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter, this is one of the passages that usually confuses people. 2 Samuel 24 verse 1. Are we there? 2 Samuel 24, verse 1. It says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he said, Behold, David is in the wilderness. I'm so sorry. I'm reading 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he incited David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. And later on in this passage, you see God punishing David. And the, the contradiction usually is, was God not the person who incited him? But then if you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, 1 Chronicles chapter 21, 1 Chronicles chapter 21 verse 1, we read the same events. Then Satan stood against Israel, and Satan incited David to number Israel. So this text is actually giving us something about primary and secondary cause. It was part of God's decree that David should number Israel. But it was not God that went to move David to number Israel. That's how you consider these two texts. So it was from the definite plan of God that David would number Israel. But it was not God who made him to do that sinful thing because it was his sin, obviously, from the text of the sin. It was not God who made him to. Some of you are looking at me like, how do I, how do I? But even, that's what I'm trying to say, that when you see the scripture to be seemingly contradictory, you have to understand that the Bible is not confused. Of course, the problem is always with us. God planned for David to number Israel. The sinful thing he did. Yet, God was not the one that moved David to number Israel. We see two causes. Let me, let's go to Job. Job chapter 1. They have to throw more light on the matter. Because this doctrine is in all over the scripture. Job chapter 1. Look at verse 9 to 12. It says, Then Satan answered the Lord. Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You are blessed in verse 11. He says, stretch out your hand and touch all that Job has, and it will cause you to his face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that Job has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence. This was the first issue. Satan came back again and still afflicted Job. Now notice back. Satan was the one that God said, go and do it. Huh? God told Satan, go and do it. 
But if you still look at verse 20 of the book of Job, after the second uh, taking his property and children, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And Job said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22 is very important. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So Job was not lying against God. That's what the Bible is saying. With Job saying God took away, when Job said Job was not sinning, Job was not charging God with wrong. That's why when somebody dies, regardless of the circumstances, we can say it was his time. In the last analysis, yes, Satan was the secondary cause. Satan was the one that afflicted Job, took his property, took his children. Yet Job could still look beyond all of that, looking at God as the one who is decreed or who has decreed. So we see these two causes. So even Satan is basically at the same level of man when it comes to the decree of God. That's why people could say Satan is God's Satan. The devil is God's devil. Satan is God's, say, God's boy. But nobody can resist the decree of God. If God has decreed it, that's how it will happen. Even Satan is bound within God's decree. So we see that God's decree does not violate human freedom. Another way to put this is, well, another way to say that man is free within the confines of God's decree. When we say God decrees all things, we are not saying man is a robot. Man is free. Man is doing what he wants to do. But in everything man is doing, man cannot, it's like man is in a circle, eh? And he can dance around inside, as long as that circle is there, he can dance, he can jump up, he can, he can sleep, he can, he can wash clothes, he can do whatever he wants to do. But he cannot jump outside the circle. It's not possible. The circle is the bounds that God has put by the, That's why even Satan, do you know Satan could not do more than what, what God decreed him to do? I was wondering in the case of Job, maybe Satan would have said, I hate this guy so much. Let me just touch him. Ah, just kill him. He couldn't. It's as if God put Satan on a leash and said, Thus far shall you go and no further. This is how far you will go, Satan. Try pass up. You can't. You can't. Man, angel, Satan, nobody can act outside God's decree. God's decree and human responsibility are not enemies. The divine decree is not inconsistent with human freedom. That's what all the scriptures we have read is trying to show to us. In the case of David, in the case of Job, in the case of Joseph's brothers, in the case of those who even crucified Jesus. This is why we can say God is not the author of sin. Because human beings are responsible. Now, there's an extent, people have done this before, to take the doctrine of God's decree, of God's sovereignty, to a fault and say that because, I mean, because God is sovereign, human responsibility does not matter. That's fatalism. It's not biblical. It's not biblical. We see constantly in the scripture, the Bible recognizes two causes in everything there's God decreeing the death of Christ, and there are the wicked people killing Jesus Christ. The Bible did not say because God decreed it, therefore all the people that killed Jesus Christ are innocent. It doesn't work that way. Because it's not God that came and pushed you, you did it. You stole, you killed, you lied. And this helps us to even understand the evils in the world. 
All the people that did the sinful things, they did it and they are responsible for it. Hitler murdered the Jews. You can say it. And still hold on to God's sovereignty and say God decreed it from eternity. Some of you are laughing. <laughs> but then the confession teaches us, if, if, part five of it, before we go, that in this decree, God's wisdom is displayed in the directing all things and His power and faithfulness are demonstrated in accomplishing His decree. And the first thing God's decree teaches us is that God is powerful and faithful. God has always accomplished it. Nothing has ever limited God. He decreed creation, creation came to pass. He decreed the death of Christ and it came to pass the exact time. Paul writing to the Galatians, he said, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Do you know how interesting the death of Christ is? Jesus could not have come before the Roman Empire was occupying Israel. He couldn't. He came at the right time. He had to be tried by the best justice system in the entire world. So that it would go on record that this man is innocent by the very best. The Roman justice system. He came at the exact right time. This was what God planned from before. The ages before the world began. Nothing has ever frustrated the decree of God. This brings comfort to us as His church. So, if God says nothing can prevail against the church, it's because He has the power to do it. This gives us comfort. We know they fear. If the government lies, if you think all churches should shut down, we don't fear. Zion, the city of God, will remain. The church of God will remain. And even in our personal lives, if God is not even sovereign and in control of everything and making things, I mean, what hope do we have? What hope do we have? If Satan has the same power as God, we're in trouble. If Satan were to have, if Satan were the opposite of God, the way the Chinese have yin and yang, and some of the philosophers have their dualism, to an equal good force is an equal evil force. We are in trouble. God's decree and the fact that His decree has always happened gives us confidence as His people of His power and His faithfulness. You know, Job learned this thing. Job 42, verse 2. He says, I know you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Once God has set His heart to do it, eh? no purpose of His can be thwarted. If the, any purpose of God can be sorted, God is not God. God is just, which is why many, many gods that exist are not really gods. God is just maybe uh, a spiritual being with more power than the normal human people. And he will have friends as well, other gods that are like him. No, that's not the God of the Bible. Secondly, the confession tells us that we can see in God's decree his wisdom in directing all things. I want us to look at Romans 16. God's wisdom. Paul was talking specifically about our salvation and the unveiling of the mystery of Christ. He says, Romans 16, verse 25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, 
that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to, he, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, the glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So everything God did, He did in His own wisdom. See, the way to the way to balance this thing, because look at the question. Let, let's get practical. I have issues in my life. You are saying God decreed it. I'm jobless. I don't have food for tomorrow to eat. Are you saying God decreed this? I have serious health conditions. I can't even serve God the way I want to serve God. Are you saying God decreed this? My brother was killed violently in a riot, or my father or my mother was murdered in cold blood. Are you saying God decreed this? All the sufferings and Trouble and being in this world. I think God when I, when, 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 I, when I think of questions like this, one of the things that immediately hits me is that God is the all-wise God. I, I read a quote recently. So the person said, Scott Richard said, I think he's a retired pastor. He said, if we have God's power, we would change everything. We would. I mean, if you just if you just have God's power, some of you will go and resurrect your dead parents or friends or brothers or sisters you will eat well this night I mean you will be thinking about what you eat tomorrow yes if you have the power that God has you 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 will be saying ah which kind of country is Nigeria Phew, just kill everybody kill kill all the old men in power that's what some of us will do just wipe everybody everybody that says they want to they want to they want to maybe keep the, the kind of democracy so called that we have wipe everybody but the person also said if we have god's wisdom we'll change nothing we'll change nothing the wisdom of god is such that bad we are so fine we can't see we can't see beyond our houses so when we are going through a difficult time or we see some things being difficult the first thing we think is how can god be free Imagine how the disciples felt when Jesus was being crucified. I mean, imagine you were there. How would you feel? You feel hopeless. Like, what's, what's going on? We followed. That was, a, that was a thing happening with those disciples on the way to Emmaus. Like, they were like, oh, he said this thing, he said this thing. Again, it looked like a hopeless situation. But look at the state of the church 2,000 years. I think of John Hoss, who when he was being killed by the church, he said, you are, you are killing me and silencing me. He said in 100 years. Now, people are debating whether he actually said it. God will raise up a swarm. And about 100 years later, Martin Luther came on the scene. And information sparked across Europe. This was what people had done 100 years before. And if you were seeing Hoss being killed, you'd be like, hey, whoa, our guy. They don't kill our guy. Look at the history of the church. Many times it seems that everything will end. No, it doesn't end. In God's decree, we see God's wisdom. You know the way I like to see if God gives you the power, when you look how everything did, you will say, Child, I know if you design something better past this one. I can't. The whole world, everything that's ever happened that is happening that will ever happen, we can't. So we see God's wisdom in this decree. We have power, we will change everything. But we have the wisdom God has. One hymn says, For I know whatever befalls me, 
affliction, poverty, suffering, whatever. Jesus does all things. There is no better way. If I have cancer today, there's no better way. God would have done it. There's no better way. There are more things that are cancer, anyways. <laughs> there's no better way. No matter what it is, they are going to This is what the decree of God. You know, this calls for humbling before God. It's not for argument and fighting. Why did God do this? Why did God not do this? Well, let me give you, let's give you the remote control. I am going to do it. Let's see what you can do. That. Let's see what you can do. If the decree of God sounds too wicked of God, then let's hear your option. Let's hear your option. Maybe you have a different plan. You know, that's what people say, they have a different plan for Nigeria. They are no longer producers. What consumer? They need to be producers. That's a, that's a different plan. I wonder how I'm going to do all those things. But that's, that's the matter for another day. But do we have questions? Questions? We can take like two questions. Okay, somebody has a question, number one, Mr. Erican, and you have a question, or oh, you ask first then. Okay. I want to ask, is it as regards to sin that man is free? And um, if yes, okay. But if if no, how do we reconcile that with irresistible will? Irresistible yes, yes, yes. So the freedom of man as defined today. Is that man is free from external coercion in all of his actions. In all of his actions. Now remember, we talked about man being in a circle. Now, if a man is in prison of sin, hmm, how can he break out of that? Let, let's use that illustration. Let's just have that illustration. Imagine man is in bondage to sin. And that bondage to sin is such that he cannot do anything about it. What do you think has to happen to him? Somebody has to set him free. So it does not even the fact that God's irresistible grace comes and saves a person does not mean the person is not free in terms of freedom from external permission. The person is free, but something has to happen outside of the person. That's why you hear sometimes you hear freedom of the way, and sometimes you hear bondage of the way. Man is free. But man is not free to the point where he can give himself salvation. His freedom is still within a bind. It's still within a circle. Man is still free. You know, when we come to chapter 6, we still more light on Chapter 6 is on, on the fall of man, on sin. And then we have a chapter on, on free will. Yes. So when we come there, we explore it deeper. But for the purpose of tonight, the point we are trying to say is, when it comes to man's actions, not just in terms of sin, even in terms of the good sins, you give money to the beggar to live on the streets. You help somebody carry water. You did this, you dash somebody money, you lend somebody money. Yes, you are free, you did it freely. In that sense of being free from external coercion. But man's free, sorry, before I go, so I'll just clear this. Man's free will is still in bondage. Because in the Garden of Eden, the difference between the fall and post fall is. Adam had two possibilities. Adam had the ability to sin and the ability to not sin. So he had the choice. That's why God gave Adam a future. 
So his will was free in that sense. He had the ability to sin, the ability not to sin. When Adam now chose to sin, the ability not to sin is no longer there. So man's will is now in bondage to sin, in that sense. We'll get to the chapter we'll talk about it. But just understand in terms of how the decree of God works. When we get there, we'll talk about free will as regarding as regard salvation. And the answer to that question is, the way God's decree is, uh, nobody knows. Even I have no idea. All I know is whatever I do is within the bounds of God's decree. If I marry tomorrow, if I don't marry tomorrow, if I cheat tomorrow, if I don't cheat tomorrow, if I steal tomorrow, if I don't steal tomorrow, everything is still within the bounds of God's decree. That's all I know. So in the case of David, assuming he did not do it, Talk. He did not do it. That's how God decreed it to be. He did not do it. Which is what Job was trying to say in Job 42. He said, no, but you see, your purpose cannot be thwarted. If God wants it to happen, nobody. And let me just say this. Even the affliction Job received was because God wanted it to happen. Yes, God was not the person who went to strike Job. But supposing in God's decree, Job, affliction no day for Job, parts. There's no way Satan would have touched I hope that helps. Okay. In the aspect of Adam, Adam, you say Adam had the choice to say no to say no. Okay, is it that God knows that David eats the apple? Of course, God knew. That's what we're trying to see. Before even Adam was created, that's the implication. What's up? Sorry, let me allow you to finish your question. There was this choice, and it knows that he eats the day that he eats the choice? What's his choice? Adam was free. Adam was free. Had Adam chose, you see, that's what I'm saying. The scripture affirms the two of them. The problem is sometimes you not take one and wrong with it and say, ah, this one is not. The scripture affirms the both of them. That's why we started by saying God is incomprehensible, his ways cannot be comprehended. Then we, we can't understand this thing fully, but with time, by God's will, this is be clear to all of us. That's my own belief. At least that's how it began to happen in my own life. So, what happened is, God decreed even the fall of Adam. That's the implication now. So, he works all things according to the counsel of his own will. That's what the Bible says. It means all things, including the fall of Adam. That he eats the fruit is because God decreed it. Now, does it mean Adam is a robot? No, because God gave Adam the choice. Had Adam said, this is what I'm saying, Adam was responsible 100%. Had Adam chosen not to eat it, God even gave him the blessing available. It was there, the curse. I don't want to get into covenant theology, but it was there. So Adam had it in front of his, 
He was in a probation in the Garden of Eden. So God gave him, said, do this. If you do this one, you will die. Of course, it's not clearly stated in the book, but the implication is, if the option of this is die, then it implies that if you, if you have not done it, you would have lived. And there would have been a, a reward for that. So Adam chose sin. That's what we are going to say. But when you look at it from the big picture, even the choosing of Adam's sin was within God's coordination. <laughs> yeah. that's, why, that's why Jesus was slain from the foundations of Israel. So it was not after Adam fell that God now thought of Jesus Christ. The fact that the fact that the Father, well, we do covenant theology last, we'll come to it in chapter 7. The fact that the Father and the Son had a pact, what's it called? Sactum pactum. In the covenant of redemption, and maybe the Holy Spirit, if you like, shows that before the foundation of the world, before the world was created, shows that even the fall of, if God and Jesus Christ agreed that Jesus would come, the Father and Jesus Christ agreed that Jesus would come and die, for what now? For sin. So even Jesus, for eternity, knew that there will be a need for the shedding of blood. Yeah, these are, these are, these are serious matters. But the thing is, my prayer for us is that as we study more, this is not the end of the chapter. Is there a question online? What was that question from last week? No, that's Pastor Butch's question. So when it comes back, we'll treat it. <laughs> so this humbles us. It should humble us. Yes. That this is the God with whom we have to. And it should comfort us. Things are not happening haphazardly in your life. Even the hard stuff, the bad stuff. Even Nigeria. Sometimes you are waiting. Hey, hey, we are dead. We are finished too. No, 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 no. Lord, look at me in this thing. Okay. Maybe humanly speaking, we did. But we need to decree. Nigeria is here because God decreed Nigeria to be here. Buhari is our president. Not because somebody will the election. Of course, in the human side of it, maybe somebody will the election. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But he was voted for. And won in the democracy. God decreed that he will be our president. So this gives us peace as well. As we go through life. Nothing is a mistake. Romans 8.20 gives us the assurance that all things are working together for us. Because the powerful God has decreed it, and not just that he's executing it. So we can rest in that knowledge as we go to bed tonight. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great comfort we get from your word about who you are about your works, about your decrees, the decree in particular. But we know that not everybody here has understood what we have been saying in the past two weeks. And that for many of us, we still have this struggle and we still can't come to terms with this. Not because we don't have the information, but because we have not been convinced in our hearts that these things are true. We are sinners, and sinners so affected our intellect. And even if the best of theologians or the best of Bible teachers were to bring these things to us, we would struggle. 
Lord, we ask that you continue to give us understanding. As we read your word on a daily basis, as we listen to preaching, as we put ourselves, make ourselves available to the means of grace, we will come to understand these things better. And Lord, as we depart this evening, we ask that you dismiss us with your richest blessings. And the next time we will meet, we all would have songs of praises on our lips of how we have seen your goodness and your mercies in our lives in fresh ways. In Jesus' name we are prayed. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. the love of God, and the true fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Good evening.